0: In our last episode we discussed the link between nutrition and bone health and particularly how the type and amount of food that we eat can impact on the strength of our bones and the risk of having a fracture either a traumatic fracture from a fall or a stress fracture in this episode we hear an incredible story which demonstrates just how strong this link is between nutrition and bone health it's a story of high performance sport of really pushing the limits in terms of training but also how things can go so spectacularly wrong. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Alan McCubbin
1: and I'm Steph Gaskell.
0: We're both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimize their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each episode we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask. Sort of stuff that people are talking about out on their run or ride in the coffee shop afterwards, or jumping online to try and find answers for. So we'll take that question, break it down, and invite a guest expert in our A episode and a guest athlete or coach in our B episode to add their unique perspective as well. Today, it's episode 56B, what's nutrition got to do with bone fractures, with our very special guest, Bobby Clay. Before we get to Bobby though, Steph, how are you going this week?
1: I'm going good, Al. I've been creating exams, which is a fun new experience for me. I know you're like professional at doing that. So anyway, I feel good because I've I've got those ticked off. Hopefully the students like me after it. (laughs) And then I did manage to get out because my mum's like, we're going to buy you a graduation present because I've got graduation in May. And then she's like, did you get yourself some boots? And I'm like, no. And she's like, your boots are looking pretty shitty at the moment. Get yourself some boots. So I've got a <laughs> coat and some boots. So I'm feeling very, very spoiled at the moment.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yes, well, it's that time of the year where it's going to be a pretty cold one for graduation.
1: It is. It is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Excited about that. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to bring the whole family down to, to that, which will be nice. Um, hmm. What about you? How are you travelling? You've you got a lot of, I mean, you always have a lot of work on, but um, <laughs> particularly right now.
0: Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, school holidays, just finishing with the kids as well. So, yeah, just juggling lots of balls. But end of the semester is near, but the start of the sports nutrition course from Sports Dietitians Australia, which I help coordinate, is just starting in a couple of days' time. So one thing finishes and the next thing starts. So yep. that's life, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yep. <laughs> Updates and announcements. We've been off social media the last few weeks, as um, yeah, as you've just heard, life has been busy, been juggling things, and things do get out of our control sometimes. But we're back into it now. We're also into the home stretch of our ebook, which will be available in about a month via our website, thelongmunch.com. We are interested in your feedback as well on the podcast, and we have a, a quick survey. So, we'll, we're kind of going to also have a bit of an incentive there. So, three people who complete it will receive a free copy of the ebook when it's completed. And I tell you what, there's a lot of bloody effort that went through this ebook. So, it will be good, we assure you. It will be worth it. And also look out for some polls on social media in the coming weeks to get your input into the other resources that we're going to be offering through thelongmunch.com. And finally, just a reminder, if you do have a question that you would like answered on the podcast, you can find us on social media at the thelongmunch on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Yep.
0: And that survey will the link for that will be available via social media in the next week or so. Yep.
1: yep. Awesome. So today's episode hour, we are up to 56B. What are we talking about?
0: Yeah, so our question is what's nutrition got to do with fractures? In our A episode, we had Luke Hilkins talking about that from a theoretical point of view, and he's a researcher in that area in cycling today we're hearing from a running perspective and our special guest is bobby clay so some people may be familiar with bobby's story particularly around bone health but for those of you not familiar bobby was a former european under 20 champion in the 1500 meters in 2015 and she's twice been top 10 at the world under 20 championships in the 1500 meters in 2014 and 2016. she was also third in the teams category for the World Junior Cross Country Championships in 2013 with, amongst others, teammate Georgia Taylor Brown, who some of you in the triathlon world will recognize. She was a silver medalist at the Tokyo Olympics in the individual female event and actually won gold in the mixed team relay there as well. But Bobby's story really came to my attention from an article that she had written in 2017 in Athletics Weekly. And it really struck me, you know, the severity of her story and and what had happened to her and and the very strong link between nutrition in her case and bone health. And sort of always wondered over the the years since then, you know, what sort of happened to her. Yeah, and hadn't, hadn't heard really what had happened for a few years. So when we got to this question, I thought I'd reach out and see where she's at, what she's doing and how she's going these days. And it was, yeah, it was great to hear from her and get I guess, a, a full picture of her story. I sort of heard little snippets here and there and read her article, but to really have time to sit down with her for an hour and have a chat through the whole thing and her approach to eating and her mentality around food and diet and body composition and bone health, I think, was uh, was fantastic to, to hear, uh, certainly a bit of a, an eye-opener. And I think, I guess, one thing I would say here is that this, a uh, bit of a trigger warning, this episode does have discussions around disordered eating and eating disorders it also has discussions around mental health depression and suicide as well so if that's something that might be triggering for you you might need to be a little bit cautious around that and maybe skip ahead to our next episode or go back and listen to some previous ones um, but i think it is a a really interesting story to, to hear and it's great to hear that that bobby's in a good place now and I think we'll talk a bit more about this afterwards, but yeah, I think there's a lot to learn from this story. If you're a young upcoming athlete aspiring to be an elite athlete, I think this is a really important story for you. Or if you're the parent of a young and upcoming athlete, I think this is also a really important one for you as well. So regardless, if you're interested in nutrition and bone fractures, I think you'll you'll really enjoy this one.
1: Mm, Yep. And I think it was, like we said, a good time period now to talk to Bobby because, and she was excited as well because she could really reflect, um, you know, because it had been a bit of time since all of that had happened. So she seemed to be in a really good place now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Awesome. Let's uh, get stuck into it.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Bobby Clay, welcome to Long Munch. How are things going over there in the UK?
2: Um, Very nice, actually. The sun has finally made an appearance in the UK, so I'm happy. That kind of dictates my mood.
0: Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And you were talking off air, you sort of messaged me before saying you might be a bit late because you're looking after some horses.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so I have horses at home.
0: Um,
2: So I try my best to be on time for things, um, but they kind of don't always play ball. (laughs) so it's kind of up to their mood but they're like me they're in a better mood when it's sunny so they were fine they were fine today they played ball I told them that I have was type of time as well but that can go one of two ways that means they're either going to play up and be like yeah we're going to make mum late or (laughs) they're going to be like okay you know what we'll give you a break and
0: that's (laughs) excellent fair enough all right well some listeners might be aware of you Bobby and your story was obviously in the media quite a bit about six or seven years ago. Um, and for me personally, I think I first became aware of your story. I came across an article that you'd written in Athletics Weekly, I think it was in 2017. And we'll come back to that story shortly. But before we do, I, I want to go back even further, sort of prior to about 2015, 2016, and sort of your running career at that stage. Can you tell us a bit about your running career in those those earlier days?
2: Um, well, I suppose i I've always ran. Like that I feel like that sounds like a really weird thing to say. But I can't really remember not going for a run after school or going for a mm. run before school and stuff like that. Um, because my mum ran and all I wanted to do was run. So at that point, like I I actually have I don't think I've got memory of it not being in my life. Yeah. Um and then I started racing very like very young. But again, that was like instant gratification. I was clearly very good, and if you're very good as a child, you want to do it because you get the mm. rounds on the and you're the coolest in the school, and you're never, you're always picked first for PE. And don't get me wrong, I can't kick, I can't throw, I can't. So I have no idea why I was picked first in PE. I can and I, can't, I can barely corner, so I can mm. only run in a straight line. Um, but all of those things kind of just really started to help me build who I thought I was. And my identity really became, I am a runner, and then this, this, and this. Um, so by the time it got to around 2015, that was the year, I'd say, that I realised that this is what I'm going to do for my career. Um, I won European Juniors. I went in as the having run the quickest time in Europe. I, I loved the pressure. I loved all of that. And I made my university choice near enough based on where British athletics were based at that point in time and the coach I wanted to move towards. Mm-hmm. Um, I then said to my parents, oh I really want to go to uni and they were very happy about that but they knew why I wanted to go. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: It sort of said there you need a plan B, You like, education is important and I was sort of like well I'm going to a very very good university for my degree but we all knew where I was really going.
0: Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And when you say European Championships, that was 1,500, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. And I think from memory you did some cross-country running as well?
2: Yeah, so I suppose cross-country really was my first love. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, I was running in the – like. I live very much in the countryside, so mud and rain and sort of that just constant being uncomfortable, I suppose, was my Mm. comfort zone. I was I weirdly my primary school was super passionate about cross country, and I think I don't know whether my sister and I sort of aided that passion because we were very good. Um, I don't know what came first, the school being very good, or us being very good, or it sort of came together as one. And we used to think we were genuinely like the queens of the cross country field um, at primary school. So we were tiny as well. So. I took cross country all the way up through, I never really ran indoors, I, because that was my cross season. So, I suppose I was a bit different from typically middle distance runners who would go indoors in the January kind mm. of time, I wasn't, I was always out in the cross field. And that's where I got my first Great Britain vest, did my first Worlds, did my first Euros, everything. Cross country came first, with everything and then I'd go and get the accolades on the track in the summer. And that was where I really became really good friends with actually one of the girls on the Aussie team, who yeah. I now have a twin on the other side of the world, which is amazing. I feel like I'm getting old now. Um, <laughs> she was at my first World Cross in Poland. Yep. And I can remember it was snowing, which she was super excited about. And I was telling her that, oh, like, we need welly boots. And she was like to me, what are welly boots? And I was trying to explain what welly boots are. And she was like, oh, gum boots.
3: Mm. And
2: I was like, no, welly boots. So now, like, <laughs> we talk every now and again, yep. but we were the two smallest by far. By, mm. by far, we were running around to swap best. Oh, it was amazing.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. All right. And so, our topic today is really around the relationship between nutrition and bone health, and particularly bone fractures. let's talk a bit about the nutrition side first before we get into the bone aspect. Can you talk about, I guess, in those earlier days, sort of up until about 2015 or so, what what your thinking and approach around nutrition had been in relation to your running? Was it something that you had a lot of knowledge in, something you just kind of made up as you went along, or did you have a specific way of thinking about it at that stage?
2: I think I started off from a very healthy base. I was, I'm very aware of my privileges, and um, my dad is a tremendous cook, and he's very, he's very conscious about making sure all like. So I've got two siblings. The three of us are always fed very well. He's very health conscious, but always you say to me, food is fun, because I suppose he always had that fear of, it isn't, it's not atypical, is it within endurance sports? for young women to want to be very lean. And I think that was on my dad's mind from when I was very young before I even realized. So I started off, I suppose, or I had a lot of comments of, oh, you eat very well, which mm-hmm. actually has a lot of negative connotations.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, or, mm, you, you eat a lot, or, Oh, I'm surprised you'll eat that if you run so much. And I'm talking from the age of about seven. Um, yeah. But I didn't really notice at that point in time because I was getting the support I needed at home. The food tasted nice for a start, which always helped. Um, and then my sister, unfortunately, she went down a very, uh, I suppose, was a very dark path with food. And she had an eating disorder, which went on all throughout her teen years. She's only 18 months older than me. So all throughout my teen years. And she was also running at the time. And I then started to realise I ate more than any other girl who I ran with. I ate more, I ate foods that they literally appeared fearful of. And then I started to maybe become very conscious and aware of what I was putting in my body, which completely countered every single thing I'd ever learnt from my dad. Um, And with time unfortunately his voice got quieter in my head and the voice in my head got much much louder
0: Mm, yeah and I mean to some extent that's sort of getting older and more independent at that age too isn't it you know your parents become less of an influence and everyone else around you becomes more of an influence And, and from that point of view do you think looking back was it sort of you know changing those eating habits was it more around well if they're successful and that's what they're doing, then that's what I need to do too? Or is it more, I don't want to be sort of the odd one out here?
2: I think it was a little bit of a combination of the two. The The really strange thing is I mainly ran with men. So the girls I was surrounded by were, well, my sister obviously was a huge, well, I, well, a huge influence because I lived with her. But unfortunately, I, I could see all of the, the troubles that came with her illness. And I suppose that was, I had to very much be very secretive of what I was doing because I didn't want to cause similar troubles. Um, But the girls I was comparing myself to, which I've never really got my head around, didn't train with me because they couldn't. Mm. I trained with men because the splits I was doing on the track for my training, what I was repping, was way too quick. So Mm. I was comparing myself to athletes who actually weren't, At that point, running as quick as me or doing as well as me, but I just felt like I needed to be lean. And I think we all have a genetic disposition and mine's always has been from a young age of being pretty muscular. So I very much got away with being very lean because I always had a bit more bulk muscle than the majority of women I was racing against. And then I sort of started to see my leanness and my ability to maintain physique that i don't think many women around me could um i started to see that as a superpower which is mm-hmm. really when my relationship with food took a nose dive
0: mm-hmm. yeah okay and so i'm guessing from there it's sort of that relationship in terms of you know not eating enough to meet the needs of training
2: not eating enough and demonizing whole food groups Mm. Mm-hmm which is really tricky when when your dad presents a very beautifully presented, um, very nutritious meal in front of you, and my brain's telling me I can't eat a carbohydrate. On Mm. that plate, there is carbohydrates. So I think I was always at conflict of, I didn't want to upset my dad, I didn't want to cause more issues within the household, but at the same time, I then, if I would eat it, it wasn't about me eating it, it was then about me compensating in terms of training after that.
0: Yep and i guess nowadays there's a lot of awareness around that concept of what we call energy availability in terms of having enough energy to fuel the training and having then enough left over or available to fuel like your normal body functions and then i guess the the term that comes from that sort of relative energy deficiency in sport or reds but i guess at that time there was a lot less information available about that kind of thing i mean the term reds didn't even exist prior to 2014 so um yeah, that was, yeah, the female athlete triad had been around for a decade or two before that. But did you have much awareness of that time or was anyone sort of giving you any information about those kind of concepts at that kind of stage in your career?
2: Um, I'd very, I, I very much heard of the female athlete triad um, because in the UK we have, I don't even know if they still do it, I hope they still do it because it's wonderful, but we had a mini marathon camp so... It was all young athletes that come together. You'd all live in halls. um, And you'd literally have four days, five days of training and different seminars and lectures and stuff. And one of them was the female athlete triad, Mm -hmm. um, of which the boys weren't even, they did something separate, which now looking at it from my point of view, I think is absolutely ridiculous. Um, But it was almost delivered in a way of this happens and it could happen, but it won't happen to you. Right. So I sat there like, yeah, but it won't happen to me. Pro- probably thinking about, oh, we're going to go run in Bushy Park. I can't wait. Or which one of the boys I was going to make try and make cry in terms of by breaking them on a the run. Like mm-hmm. I, I, my brain would have been elsewhere because it wasn't going to happen to me. And I was sat in a lecture hall and I didn't want to be sat in one. Um, and I think that was very much the feeling across the board.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The other thing is as well, one lecture a year, by someone who I could not relate to not because age is an issue but they're an older woman or man who's never competed in my sport was never gonna outweigh the voice in my head which says you're so lean get leaner and you'll be quicker and then obviously there is that no matter what science has delivered to me at that age the clapping of oh look at the shape you're in oh god you're God, you're even leaner than last time I saw you. Oh, what are you doing? What's your secret? What's your magic? And that clapping of just feeding the narrative I already had in my head constantly of you're in shape. Look at the shape you're in. Oh, you're running so well. Just meant that the external, hey, this is the thing that could happen, never really, I never absorbed it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, fair enough. And, And as you said, you know, that all works well, when performance is going well and and I guess at that stage it sounds like you were still performing well even despite the fact that you were kind of quite restrictive from an eating point of view it wasn't at that stage you know limiting you from a performance point of view as far as you could tell
2: no I was hitting all my target times on the track in training I always like exceeded what I was asked in terms of my actual training I I never saw a decline really until the day that it all ended I just my trajectory was going up my quality of life around training like I said I live in the countryside I've got horses I've got so many things that I need to have energy for I'd school and then obviously went to university that was where I was really feeling the toll but I could hide that from everyone yeah yep. um I'd pass out on the school bus I'd pass out doing the horses but no one would know that because I'm on my own, and I keep mm. that very much to myself because I knew my dad would say if he found out I passed out to the horses, you're not going to training tonight, mm. you absolute yeah. nut nut. Like, yeah, yeah. So I had to hide stuff like that because I thought it was for the greater good.
0: Mm. Mm. And, and I guess during that period where you've got these kind of two conflicting things going on, like, you know, training and competitions going really well, but then other parts of your life may, you know, sort of are going backwards a bit. Was there a stage where you kind of twigged in your mind, you know, what I'm eating or my nutrition might be related to this or not until sort of later on?
2: I did know that I needed to eat more to do life, but I wasn't interested in doing life. Um, which sounds really weird, but I just genuinely my whole life was running. So I've all I, I was I was bright. I went, I went to a grammar school. all my friends are very bright. but I have always had kind of the ability to cruise in part. So I would always get my homework done at lunchtime so I didn't have to do it after school because I, ha- I wouldn't be allowed to go training if I hadn't done my homework. Mm-hmm. So I had the ability to do enough. Parents' evening would come round and I would always be on track because I never let myself get behind. But in terms of how I felt in life, I suppose that was one Christmas, actually, where it rained the entire Christmas holidays, like R- chucked it down rain every day. And I was on really high mileage that my parents were completely unaware of because I was leaving at five in the morning from the stables with my sister. My sister did all of this with me. Crazy high mileage, my coach was aware of. My parents absolutely were not. My dad would never have stood for it. And I had the worst Christmas all my life. Like, the worst Christmas of my life. After training, I wasn't interested in any, like. And I, I used to be, before then, I was like a little Christmas elf. Loved Christmas. I wasn't interested in doing anything festive with the family. I'd lie on the living room floor in front of the fire, just waiting for my next run. And then we'd go do that training and then come back from that training. Would drag my backside out to do the horses. I was so unenthusiastic. Like, I can remember cuddling my, so I've had the same pony since I was tiny. We've got quite a few, but he's like, he would be who I told everything to. Cuddling him and crying, saying, music, I'm so tired. Mm. And that was the only person who knew how tired I was. To everyone else, I was some grumpy teenager who didn't want to care about Christmas anymore. But ultimately yeah. I had nothing and it was after that Christmas I thought, mm, how long can I do this for? But I continued to do it. That was the first time that thought came into my head.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is what, towards the end of high school by the sound of it?
2: Yeah, it was maybe 2014.
0: Hmm, yep.
1: Yeah, and um, so I guess one of the most common presentations of low energy availability in female Athletes since the loss of a menstrual cycle. So, was this something that you experienced as as well?
2: I actually never naturally started my menstrual cycle. I was taken to the doctors when I was sixteen by my mum, and because my mum was like, "This isn't, this isn't normal. We need to check your body out because you're, you're meant to be a young lady." Like I used to have my dad joke and say that I was a little boy you're built like a little boy was what he used to say all the time and he used to joke and I actually I wasn't offended by it because to me being built like a little boy well in my eyes at this point men are faster than women I don't care I knew I was never going to be fit what society wanted me to be as a woman I knew I was never going to have what at high school I suppose the boys wanted to see I was never going to be that I was never going to be the big boobed makeup any of it I was never so the only way I was going to get kudos is by running. So I wasn't interested in starting my period at all. The doctors literally fed the same narrative that I, because I absolutely didn't want to go to the doctor. I was fuming at my mum. And she was like, No, we're going. There was not a choice about this. you like pretty much here to go take the route of, you live in my house, you abide by my rules. And my mum's never been like that to me. We've always been very friendly. And I was fuming. She dragged me, and the doctor was like, Look at her. She's in peak physical fitness, uh, how, she's healthy, she couldn't be any more healthy, pretty much then, because it's the village over I go to, and all the doctors, so my mum took me to another doctor, and all they were saying is, look at her, she's, she's amazing, she's everything we want our patients to be, like, she's a fit, active young lady, there's no, there's no question why it's delayed, it will be delayed, so by the time I went to uni at 18, I still had never had a period. And by the time I was at uni, my mum couldn't drag me kicking and screaming anymore because I was out the family home and I was meant to be an adult. And by the time I was 18, I think if I'd got a period, my whole world would come crashing down because at that point, I had become aware the only way you get a period is that you'd have to be above a certain body fat. And like I said, my superpower at that point was how low my body fat was, at least in my eyes. So if I'd got a period, I think that would have spiralled my already disordered eating. I think that would have made it even worse um, because I was, fo- I was completely in fear of periods. I was petrified of them ever coming and they never came.
1: How did your mum tweak that you didn't, sorry, like um, what made your mum then make you go to the doctors? Like she just you know, realize, or oh, you know, you haven't had your period, like you should have your period. Is that?
2: Um, I think just from an overall health perspective, I think she just thought, oh, young women start roughly between this age and this age and Bobby hasn't yet and could mm-hmm. see I was physically not developing to the shape that a young lady usually would. Um, and I am very, very, there are very much traits of my mum and my dad in me. But my mum, although she has always been physically very fit and is more on the muscular side, I've always almost followed her trend and I wasn't developing at all. As in, I was exactly the same shape as my young, my younger brother. And my sister had started her periods at 13 or something. So it was almost like a waiting game of, oh, Bobby will be soon, Bobby will be soon. And when it never came, my mum was just worried I think internally something wasn't right and just wanted advice Mm. so I think would have taken me at 15 but because I was so resistant and was like girls sometimes start late and I do lots of sport and I learned at school if you do sport sometimes it can mean you have a later period but she let me get 16 and then just said you know what if there is something here it could be a reproduction issue it could be a fertility issue it could be which as a mum she doesn't want that for her child Mm. and that's why she took me but like I said it just the narrative I was saying was just fed by Mm. a professional then so my mum almost didn't have a leg to stand on because I'm turning around saying to her so you're smarter than a doctor are you
3: Mm. Mm.
1: yeah yeah And so, yes, I guess thinking back now, how long do you think you were in that kind of state of low energy availability?
2: I would say maybe from the age of about 15. So I don't know how it happened in Australia when the girls are running, but there is a tendency for under-17s to run up an age group because it's in the under-20s that you can get your Great Britain best. And I decided to run up and miss my under 17 age group and run up in the under 20s at 15. And that's really when I started doing the extra miles. That's really when, because I felt, if I want to run with the under 20s, I need to match or go beyond them when I was really just a child. So I think that's that's really when I started to feel it outside of running. And I think that's probably the indication that I didn't have, I had the low energy availability because that's when I was became not very sociable at school. Like I say, doing the horses became really difficult and really taxing. The school bus was just my nightmare because I think, because I couldn't find something to mentally stimulate me to keep me switched on. That was when I would have the really faint feeling or the passing out and stuff like that.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so it sounds like it was about three or four years mm. that you sort of had low energy availability, yeah. And it, it sounds like, was it more where you were you were um, doing more training and purposely not eating enough?
2: Yes, definitely. I was definitely doing side switch coaches as well. So the coaching sure. approach was completely different. Prior to being 16, so up to 15, I was with a coach who was completely grass-based, was very much running is fun. Yeah. No one, like people don't remember juniors. Let's get you to the seniors and let's, you're pretty much, he knew I was talented and wanted to almost bubble wrap me. I then moved across because he was, he was so grass-based. I really wanted to be doing track work and he it completely went against what he believed I still am really really good friends of him now he's a wonderful man and there's a big part of me that knows that move that I made was the start of the end really for me because I moved over to the track based group I was training the equivalent well I was, all my training was with the men I was doing the same sessions as the men 10k plus track reps like all year round winter I was on the track and the coaching approach was very different it was let's keep pushing let's keep pushing let's keep pushing oh she can handle it so let's do more but I was always going to handle it because I was going to sacrifice everything else in my life to handle it so Mm. I needed someone to say just because you can handle it now it doesn't mean you should be doing it
3: yeah
1: yeah yeah yes exactly and so um, let's talk about bones now. So can you remember the moment when you first had an idea that something wasn't right from a bone health perspective?
2: If I'm honest, I actually don't think I had any idea that bone health-wise that was something not right because I've become very almost slapdash with the idea that I get hurt. But if I want to be training at the absolute level I wanted to be, I was always going to be teetering on hurting myself, and I was very okay with that. But I think from a from the my coach because when I went to uni, I changed coaches again. He was already worried about it because I went to university, changed coaches, and he halved my mileage. The day I said, "Look, like I, I'm," I've spoken to my old coach. I I really think that. The way for me is if I move to your group, how do you feel about that? And I I tried to do it all very above board. And he was like, I would love to have you, Bobby. Here's your Training Peaks log in. I logged in that day and he had half my mileage, straight down the middle. And he said, you don't need that. And I can remember thinking, this man is crazy, but I'll give it a go. Because I I, I, I trusted him and... I'd seen his results already. His his results of athletes and himself as an athlete spoke to themselves. So I was like, you know what? I'll give him a month. If I don't see what I want to see, I'll say to him, look, thank you very much, but I'm going to do my own thing. And within, I was flying. I was absolutely flying in training. Within that, Within a month, I felt like I could go to lectures. I felt more sociable. He encouraged me to socialise. My whole life sort of, I felt like I was then becoming to live the the sparkly athlete dream that I always wanted but thought I'd never have. I had a really great summer, a tremendous summer. And for the first time in my life, I had an actual end-of-season break. Before then, from the age of about, when I moved to my second coach, so from the age of 16 all the way up until 19, I'd had... An end-of-season break, which consisted of a couple of days off running and then easy runs for two weeks. Like That was my end-of-season break. Um, so with, when I went to university, I was literally told, go away, I don't want to see you at the track for a month, leave me alone. And I was like, and I'd had such a good summer. For the first time, I thought to myself, you deserve this. And I'd never felt that about myself, ever. I was like, you know what, you deserve this. So it was the last week of my end of season break. And I text my coach saying, can I just, I would always start with, can I just? And the mm-hmm. answer to it would always have been no. Um, mm-hmm. But I started it with, like, can I just? And it was, Can I just go to the pool with my sister? Because I knew I'd get found out so I needed to say I was going to do it. Can I just go to the pool with my sister? Because if I wanted to you, I've partied pretty hard and could really do with just doing something before i run next week he was like you know what i think that's a great idea so i went to the pool got a bit competitive with my sister pushed off the wall and it wasn't actually the like it wasn't when i hit the wall doing the tumble turn i pushed off i was already maybe a meter or so away was kicking my legs to get back to the surface and i heard just a and i was like and i felt my foot straight away and i was like oh that's not good and I got to the other end and I looked at my sister and I was like, Alex, I've broken my foot. And she said, shut up, we've got two more reps to do. And I was like, just doing pull. I couldn't, because it felt like my whole foot was fixed mm. and it really hurt. And then um, being typical me, two days later was my first run back. And my coach said, "You, how are you feeling? And I was like, I just want to run. Not telling them why I can actually walk. I just want to run. And he was like, well, go on, do some easy miles. Message me how it goes. I realised I could run, but I had like a club foot, it felt like. But I could like somehow run and really hurt, but I couldn't turn a corner. So I ran in a straight line for four miles, rang my sister crying and said, you're going to have to pick me up. So where are you? And I said, I'm four miles away, just down. And it was a certain like A road and I was on pavement. She was like, why did you just run in a straight line? I said, I can't turn a corner, Alex. (laughs) <laughs> why did she was like so my coach called Rob she's like Rob is gonna be fuming at you and I was like oh no and then it was I <laughs> rang him and he wasn't mad at all and he was like Bobby we're gonna get your foot scanned because I'm pretty sure it's a fracture and I said I know it's a fracture but he didn't tell me at that point it wasn't just my foot that was getting scanned I then had my DEXA scans. I had I didn't even know I was being scanned for. I just thought, I've got a broken foot. That put me in a boot. I'll have six weeks. I'll rehab it back. I'll be good to go by the time I'm on my next training camp. And then I got told, oh, yeah, so we did a bone density scan and it's not good.
1: Mm, yeah. And so with that bone density scan, yeah, what did they, how did they tell you and can you remember what the, um, I don't know if you know the actual T-score values were
2: so I can't re- I can't recall all of them but I can remember my coach being very upset about so they were saying that in my lower spine it was minus 3.6 um which to me I don't actually I didn't really know and I still don't really know massively what it means there's parts of my what I've gone through I've gone all, all in with research mm. I've tried to really and that was particularly in the first lockdown we had um that was particularly in stuff I can control when it involves like the numbers of my bones I was like you know what I know I I know it's not good but I don't need to upset myself any further but they were particularly worried about my lower spine and I can remember my coach just kept saying this number and I was thinking Yeah, I don't know what that
1: means, but
0: it doesn't sound very good. Did you want to explain
1: it, now? Are you going
2: to be scared? Do you
0: want to know? Oh, I'd love to know. I'd love to know. Yeah. So so basically um, there's a couple of scores that you get when you do a DEXA scan. One's called a Z score and one's called a T score. And a Z score compares your bone density to people of the same age. And a T score compares you to people in the age bracket where you should hit the peak of your bone density in your life, which is usually sort of late 20s. And so a T-score is the one they use for diagnosing osteoporosis. So if you're the 80-year-old the um, who's fractured their hip and they get a DEXA scan and they go to get that uh, assessed in terms of osteoporosis, they compare you still to someone in their late 20s because essentially it's what is your bone density like in comparison to what it would have been at that time kind of thing if it's normal. And so a value of w- minus one would be what they call one standard deviation below the norm for that population. And then minus two, two standard deviations below. So two standard deviations below basically means that you're in kind of the bottom 3% essentially-ish. And then the the cutoff for osteoporosis, the diagnosis, I'm assuming it's the same worldwide, but certainly here in Australia is minus 2.5. And so, yeah, once you're below minus 2.5, that's officially a diagnosis of osteoporosis. Less than minus one is osteopenia. So below three is extremely low. That would be in the bottom, I don't know, point something percent of people mm. um, compared to someone of that sort of age around that time of peak bone peak bone mm. density. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, that's like osteoporosis and then some, I suppose.
2: Oh, I really got to fill in, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> we went down with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so
0: once you
1: were diagnosed with osteoporosis did that put an immediate stop to your running or did you try to kind of push on
2: um I was in complete denial to me it was what old ladies get and I'm not an old lady um was pretty much I was that blunt about it I was that I suppose insensitive about it in my head okay cool I've got this thing I can deal with that later because then a lot of things have being thrown at me at that point in the time. I was going through a lot of tests. I didn't know what I'd been tested for, which was really difficult because I like to, it was my body and I like to know, and I just, every day was having some kind of blood test. Medical professionals, I feel like, didn't mean to be insensitive, but were almost getting excited about, oh my gosh, and what you're still running and wanted to do this blood test and that blood test and do this scan and something inside me here and i just felt like a lab rat which i don't think helped in terms of stress and helped in terms of feeling heard so i just went full denial instant denial okay that means nothing to me the numbers mean nothing to me i'm going to rehab my foot back get my foot re-scanned get the all clear that my foot's fine and just resume which is exactly what i did i rehabbed my foot back my foot feel healed lovely after six weeks, had my my final scan to say I could come out with my boot. Again, they were scanning my foot for a fracture, and I was told it had healed beautifully. And I can remember seeing that on the email, being like, almost well, like, yeah, two fingers up to all of you people saying yeah. I've got this thing. But my, yeah. my foot healed beautifully. If my bones were that bad, I don't think beautifully would have been used. And that was mm. genuinely what I was, how I was feeling. So I was rehabbing back to just normal running. My coach was really, really trying to be careful. I was finding that really frustrating. And he was saying, no, we have to approach things differently now, Bobby. And I couldn't imagine I was quite difficult. And I didn't even get back to any form of speed work before. I had a shin fracture. Then I had two shin fractures. Then I'd be carrying a shin fracture in one leg. And then the other leg would go. And then I had a spinal, then I had a full fracture of my femur, and it was just on and on and on and on and on. And this whole time I, I was rehabbing. But in my head, I was gonna every time I got an injury, I was gonna rehab back, start running again, rehab back, start running again. And then there was one big fracture in my shin, which I think was the moment that everything changed. Because every other time i have been doing in my head something athletic and it, it something would break. And then I'd had, I can't, countless, countless fractures. I hadn't been out of boot for two years. Like, I hadn't been out of one, because by the time I was about to get out of one, my other leg was getting booted. And I was in the gym, just having a social, pretty much. I wasn't doing anything. And (laughs) I sat down to sit, because one of my friends had just finished, she was phone rolling, she'd just finished her session. I sat down to talk to her, and as I sat down, like, we just had this snap. She heard it and looked at me and went, was that you? And I was just like, so numb to it all. I just went, yeah, and just carried on talking next to him. She was like, does it not hurt? And I just said, it really hurts. And she was like, you need to do something about this. You can't live. She was like, Bobby, you can't live because like if you can't sit down, what are you gonna do? Stand for the rest of your life, but you can't stand because you're constantly in a boot. So what are you gonna do? And I can remember thinking, what am I gonna do? I actually don't know now because I haven't tried to do. I haven't tried to do anything mad. I've tried to sit down, and my body's saying, "Yeah, we're not doing that anymore." Um, and that was, I think, when I realised, yeah, I, I need to just accept that I am gonna have to live a bit differently, and maybe I'm not gonna run again because I hadn't run for two years. I'd been in the boot for two years. I had medical professionals telling me that I'd never run a step again. Like, I remember all the way up, I was just in denial until that point.
1: Mm, yeah. And so what happened next? Where did you kind of channel your energy instead?
2: Well, I was still coming in, well, in and out of boots, but when I could when there were spells where I could do some training, I then started hopping on a watt bike because I could put, I think I was a very angry young woman. I was very, very anti-sociable at that point in time as well. I think because people always wanted out of nothing but care, wanted to always ask me, so when do you think you're going to get back running? And I couldn't, I couldn't take it because I couldn't, I was letting people down constantly. So I was like, I need to do something with this anger and I'm going to start breaking down relationships if I continue feeling the way I'm feeling. So I started doing a lot of stuff on a watt bike. Again, in my head, I was rehabbing, but I was rehabbing back to life is what I think I was Mm -hmm. doing. And my sister at this point had already, her running career was already finished and was very much on the bike and is a very, very good cyclist. She said to me, Bob, you can throw out some pretty hefty numbers on a what bike and I didn't know what the numbers meant and I was just like, Look, I'm just here to put myself in a hole so I don't have to feel how sad I feel was <laughs> what well, I'd say to her. And she was like, Honestly, we could do with we could do with you on the on the Bellodrome. And then I got a message from so in our in our university society of cycling, I got a message from the chair saying look like everyone's seen you on the watt bike in the gym come down to the velodrome and just see if you like it and at this point i didn't realize that he needed a fourth woman for their team pursuit and i said i've never ridden on the velodrome um i'll give it a go but like i've fallen off a watt bike numerous times so i'm not sure this is for me um and they're like come see and i think i just love the buzz of working really hard for a reason. And then I started competing for that, for my university team, for Bucks, um, we did nationals. We were a very, very good team. We were very, very good. And I realized that I was, my bike handling is terrible, but I was, some say brave, others say stupid. And I just loved there being a reason for me to be putting in hard work and actually getting that buzz of competition again which lasted a very long time. And then I think I started to follow the same trend of it was, I was absolutely not restricting my eating, but what I was asking my body to do was too much. And I broke my femur on the bike. Um, And that took me into lockdown one. I went into lockdown one with a broken femur. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about, I guess, what's what's happened since then and the recovery side of things. Since, obviously, with, with lockdown, that changed a lot of things for everyone in terms of the ability to train and, and obviously, competition kind of ground to a complete halt, did that kind of, looking back, come at a good time for you given what was happening?
2: I think it came at, weirdly, I don't think there's ever a perfect time for what went on in the world, but kind of the perfect time for me because at that point, by then, I'd accepted my diagnosis I finally found a doctor that actually didn't just look at me, say, you'll never run again, you're never going to have children, because I don't think that's the approach to take of anyone,
3: mm. and
2: particularly not myself. Like Tell me I'm not going to do something, and I will I will put myself in an early grave to prove you wrong and still not, not even necessarily succeed. I found an amazing, amazing doctor. She put me on HRT. I've been on HRT for a year and a bit by then, which has meant I had my first period and then was having them religiously. And I came in lockdown one and by now I didn't have my doctor anymore, but she's always been amazing. If I sent her an email, she'll communicate, not necessarily on a professional level, but through the fact that we actually got on and she cared.
3: Mm.
2: And I started to just look into HRT and as much as it did change my life, like i would i'm an advocate for it because i suddenly was like oh god i can actually do life again i didn't want and like the idea of being on it pretty much for the foreseeable so i started to look into a bit of can i just go back on it if i come off it and unfortunately i don't have a period can i just go back on it and i started to research it and research the pros and cons of maybe coming off for a bit and seeing and I just thought you know what I'm in lockdown worst case scenario, I can't train and I mean if I'm honest with you the biggest fear for me is I put on loads more weight because I had put on a lot of weight I don't know whether it was water weight or what it was but with HRT I I was holding weight in weird places I didn't look like me if I come off it will it be okay so I'm in lockdown no one's seeing me and I came off didn't have a period for the next month. Went back on, sorted myself out again. Then by this time, we were just about to come out of lockdown. I like, I'm going to come off of it and see what happens. And I had my first natural period. And I was like, right, I'm going to set myself that if I miss one, I'm back on for two, for two to three months. And I just for the next year did that of I missed another one. I was back on HRT for three months. And then I came off, and then I've not missed a period since.
3: Mm, Wow.
2: Which was a big gamble, and I was aware that I was going against medical advice, and I'd never advised someone to do that. But I was very strict with myself of, this isn't a, oh, I've missed one, but it's just one. I was thinking, no. And at this point, I was rehabbing my femur, like, just rehabbing back to life, because the femur fracture was upsetting because I thought I'd found the sport I could do mm. and again everyone was saying to me how do you break your female on a bike and I'm thinking that so I broke I've broken so I've broken near enough every bone below my waist existing like <laughs> mm. it's not a surprise to me it was just a bit upsetting But so I then started going on little jogs with my dog and I was like you know what even if all I can do is one mile slow as a snail and my spring of spaniel was looking at me like what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) I don't care I don't care
3: Mm.
2: and I from that point never never since have I worn a running watch never and now I run every day well I have days off but pretty much every day after work I go for a run no watch and every single time I go out the door I just sort of how am I feeling and then a couple of miles later, because I, I'm getting a bit older now and I need a bit of time, how am I feeling? All right, I'll do this loop. Nothing is pre-planned. Um, sometimes I do very long runs. Other times I do a very short run. It's just a little more self-reflection of how am I feeling? Oh, I feel all right. Or how's my head today? Yeah, I need a longer run.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's so great to hear that you're able to get back to obviously running, I mean, not not to the level that you were doing before, but just to be able to run at all. Because I guess there was times where a lot of people were saying that that was never going to happen. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And I guess being fairly young when you got that osteoporosis diagnosis, theoretically at least you still have and still have probably now, you know, a few years left to try and rebuild some of that bone density because it sort of peaks like late 20s, early 30s. Have you had sort of follow-up scans and seen whether you have had an increase in your, your bone density or at least it obviously hopefully stopped going down but maybe has started to head back in the positive or head back in that direction?
2: So I had a rescan, maybe... I think it might have been a year and a bit, two years after my first scan. And I think one score went up and it was in my left hip and the others pretty much remained the same. And then yeah. I was just told, oh, bone, like, because I was quite deflated by it. And I think the doctor I was working with was, she had had to persuade me so hard to go on HRT. I think she was so worried that I was going to turn around and say, all it's done is make me fat like because Mm. that's how I felt that she was like bones are really slow but bones are really slow how do you feel in yourself and I was like well I don't feel like I'm going to keel over and she was like well is that not a plus and I was like yeah I suppose
0: and I haven't had a (laughs)
2: rescan since then because I'm kind of as much as I love having information I'm quite I'm more interested in hormonally being okay and really like protecting Mm. my menstrual cycle because to me that's the best thing I can do for my bones I don't Mm. necessarily know if I want to know when it
0: involves the actual scores yeah fair enough yeah no totally understand that yeah um okay and so I guess You first, obviously, that first bone that broke was in your foot and you were sort of, you know, in the early stages of university. Running was a massive part of your life. Obviously, an awful lot's changed since then. And for those of you who, I guess, had sort of followed your story at that point when, you know, there was a lot of coverage in the media, what's life like for Bobby Clay in 2023?
2: Um, I'd say probably the biggest plus for me right now is that I am running, I'm running, but I'm running in the same way I ran when I was seven or eight years old. In terms Mm. of running, I do it because I love it and I'm free when I run. I haven't felt free when I'm running from about the age of 16 to 19. It was not a relief for me. It was the biggest stressor in my life. And as much as it was my entire life, it consumed me. Whereas now I run as a release, I run because it makes me free and I run because I know that I was, I'm meant to do that. Mm -hmm. As a part of something I do, not who I am. Um, I actually work in a school as a behaviour lead. um, And all my pupils are, have been, so mainstream school hasn't worked for them. And they're either on Mm -hmm. a placement or they're with us permanently. um, Because for whatever reason it hasn't worked. So I, Well, I love my job. I think I found a passion by accident and led on very well for my degree because I did a psychology degree. And I think all that sort of, I'm quite a passionate person that's kind of gone towards my career. And there's some really, really rough days. And I feel very, very lucky that on those tricky days, I can get home from work and put my trainers on. So I think I'm more protective of that ability than I've ever been because my sanity and my work very much requires me having that freedom after work to have that relief. So I'm protective of. Don't be silly, because if you lose that, work's going to be work's going to be tricky. If you lose that, your head's going to feel very full again. And I think, whereas before there was that pressure, it's now a release of pressures I have elsewhere. But the pressures Mm. I have elsewhere feel like a choice, whereas when I was running, a part of me, I think, was in so deep that it wasn't a choice anymore.
0: Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And obviously, as I said, you did get a lot of media coverage about what was happening around that sort of 2017, 2018 time. I'm guessing a lot of people kind of reached out to you. Have you met many other athletes since then who have had kind of a similar experience to you?
2: I have, I've I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of younger girls who either have, they've read my article or they've seen something that I've done and they can recognise certain things in themselves and they're a bit worried, which means loads because I think you are such a brave girl to say, because it is mainly women that reach out to me to say, although running is the most important thing in the world to me, I'm aware that this isn't okay which I can't say that in myself I would have ever done because all I wanted to do was hide the bad so that I could keep doing what I wanted to do so I have that I have a lot of young athletes still reaching out to me I've had some really great conversations with Pippa Wolven who also has spoken out very openly and has done a lot for Red S so she is so much more science-based than me she's a she's someone I look to for knowledge. And if I ever had a question in terms of the science behind things, I'd be very quick to go to Pippa um, because she not only is she so knowledgeable, but she lived and breathed it herself. So she had very similar issues. So, yeah, I think the conversation is definitely very much opened up now. And the fact that I know young men who are speaking about it is tremendous. Although I, I, I hate the idea of someone else living it it's also I think there isn't that fear as much to speak out and say, hey, this thing has happened to me too and Mm. it's really not okay.
0: Yeah, yep. And I think, you know, your story was probably one of the, not necessarily the first, but one of probably the earlier ones to really get a lot of attention. And there's been quite a few sort of since then. Do you feel like had there been stories like that or that kind of knowledge around Red S back, you know, 2014-15 you know when you were sort of running in that sense that would have would have made a difference for you
2: I think if I had seen someone who I either looked up to or could relate to definitely because it does it is very much dependent on the person I was aware yeah. that they there were young women who I would see one season and then never see again and I yeah. was aware and people would say, "Oh." They got skinny and didn't eat enough and they're very much brushed under the carpet. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of sports, the athletes themselves are very disposable because there's always athletes coming through. And I I think if I had read something where someone said, I think because I was so that, well hurt by what went on, I actually released my article at a point where I couldn't cope anymore and that's why I released it because... I need to do it for me, and I need to do it because I was watching the same happen to young to young athletes, and I I couldn't cope with that anymore. Um, I'd been living, a, I'd been living out my nightmare for quite a while at some point, and I, it was when one of my closest friends came back and said to me because she knew what was going on, but no one else did, said to me, "Oh, there's been comments about you've gone to university, you found going out." and you just can't be bothered to run anymore. Or there was another thing saying, oh, she can't hack an injury and she's just not getting her own way. Um, and I thought, they, they're going to sweep me under the carpet like they have continually. And the sport's going to move on and there's going to be more and more me's that happen. And that's why I released my article and just, I suppose, said how I felt that I had let people down and that, I felt so alone and people like, I think related to that. And I think if I had read that and because I already felt very alone, I might have actually just stopped. I'm not saying that I wouldn't have gone down the path I did because I'm a very stubborn human, but I might have stopped and taken a breath or stopped and taken account for at least a minute or so and maybe thought, is this right?
0: Mm.
1: And um, do you think with, like, looking back, do you think with more fuel for the training load then that you would have still been able to perform to the same level that you did? Like if you actually would have fueled more?
2: I think I would have probably produced in race situation what I could produce in training. Now, I'm very aware that I would rise to an occasion and I was someone who could race. I had a race brain, I knew I could race. But when I went to university, and as I said, I literally, my mileage was halved. um, I was also the heaviest I'd ever ran, the heaviest, and I was absolutely flying. I think that was when I really started to come into my own because my body started, yes, it was too late, but that last year I had racing, I started to realise how much my body how much strain I was putting my body under on that half mileage. So God knows what I was doing prior to that. Um, Had I actually fueled all the way up to that, I think I would developed sooner, maybe had a dip where, again, young women particularly go through a whole whirlwind of hormones and body changes and adaptions and all sorts that is exhausting for the body, whether you're running or not. I could well have taken a dip, but would I have seen a senior career? Probably.
1: Yep. And to any young girls or their parents who might be listening to this, what's the key things you'd like them to take away from your story?
2: I think always remembering that your sport is something you do. It isn't who you are. And I think when you remember that, you start to remember the rest of your life is important too. Because when I decided that it didn't matter that I passed out on the school bus, it didn't matter that I was completely uninvolved in my family Christmas, that's when I suppose almost risk-taking behaviours became no longer a risk because I had nothing but running. It's almost like some controlling partner that they live in your head And when that was taken away from me, I lost all sense of who I was, my identity, and whether I even wanted to be around anymore. So I think always remembering you are bigger and better than the sport you do. That's just something that adds to your life. It isn't your life. And that's for young women, young men, whether it's sport or even your career, that I think is hugely important because the world can take stuff away from you as quickly as 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 a snap, as quickly as anything and like we're always learning who we are aren't we but we aren't defined by one singular thing
0: yep very well said now we normally finish off with our bonus round bobby but we've kept you going for a while here so we're not sure aren't i yeah no We just i think we had a lot of questions because it was such a incredible story and i think we sort of managed to take it full circle which is fantastic um, so I'll just go with two to finish off with our bonus round. The first one, is there a sport that you'd always wanted to try but you'd never had the chance?
2: Yes, um I've always wanted to try polo, but like on horseback um, yep. because I've obviously always had horses and I just think it is. I like the whole I like the whole thing that comes with polo. I like the fact that my friends would be there like, champagne and stuff on the sidelines not in like a muddy field with it tipping it down with rain it probably rains at polo events but in my head it doesn't and it involves picnics and like a nice little pins with some fruit in it and yep. I'll be in like some nice white britches which never get dirty and stuff like that I, mm. I think I would love to try polo on horseback
0: yep yep fair enough well it's exactly the, the polo scene in Australia is exactly the same. I don't think it changes wherever you go in the world. Um, and final question, is there a particular sporting event, you know, as a spectator that you're most looking forward to in 2023?
2: Um, I think as I've got older, I've just realised I love live sport, but like I love it, even football, which I feel like I have a lot of male friends football and myself come at conflict because it stops them doing stuff with me because they say saying, no, I can't go to <laughs> Um, So I've almost adopted even football into my life because I'm like, yes, but if we could go and watch it in the pub garden. And they're yeah. like, yeah, we could do that. So I don't know if there's one in particular, but there is an event that I do want to say out loud of I'm actually coming over to Australia in October because oh, my oh, best yeah. friend's getting married. So I think, although that's not a sporting event, I'm going to make it a sporting event because <laughs> I intend for it to be a whole thing for me. So if I had to say one event, my friend's wedding in Australia, so I'm, I'm coming over finally and I'm actually going to come over and meet up with my Aussie twin that I met at World Cross.
0: Yep. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Which, which part of Australia are you coming to? Uh, Melbourne. Oh, yeah, best part. That's where we are. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time Bobby. As I said, I think we managed to come sort of full circle with that whole story and um, really find out about I guess that that link between nutrition and and bone health but then also I guess you know the key lessons from that that people can hopefully take away from your story. So, thank you so much for being open and and sharing that story. Obviously now and and you know quite quite a few years ago as well in in the past. So, thanks for, thanks for your time and um yeah, best of luck on the the journey with with the bone health and uh yeah maybe we'll uh bump into you sometime in october yeah it'd
2: be lovely
1: thank you so much thank you so much bobby really good to to hear your story and where you are at now i'm gonna let our summarize the episode i guess from both luke and bobby now
0: yeah Yeah, absolutely. So our question was, what's intuition got to do with bone fractures? And hopefully from these two episodes, what you can take away from that is an awful lot. It's not something that people have traditionally drawn the link with necessarily. But uh, as we've started to learn more about particularly energy availability, we can understand that there is a really important role there. So I guess the first thing is we do know that bone is a, a dynamic tissue, similar to muscle, although it's much more slow to turn over. But because of that, we need to continually feed it nutrients to help with that turnover. So that's partly protein in terms of the protein structure that bone is made from, which is mostly collagen. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to have collagen in terms of supplements or anything because any protein can be made into collagen from food. But it's also the mineral component then, which is what we tend to traditionally think of in terms of bones, things like calcium in particular, phosphorus, magnesium and so forth. And so we need your adequate amounts of those minerals and adequate amounts of protein. We also need the stimulus on the bone to actually turn over. So if we want to maintain good bone density or build good bone density, if we're still below the age of about 30, we need that impact force on the bone to actually stimulate it to improve its strength and density just like you know if we want our muscles to get stronger we need to do something that actually works those muscles same concept here with bone so we definitely need protein we definitely need the minerals the majority of athletes probably get adequate amounts of each of these unless they have a diet that specifically excludes things like say dairy products and they're not getting those sort of calcium alternative sources but for most people, they're probably getting enough protein and enough minerals for the most part. It's it's probably not going to be the major cause of reduced bone density. The other one we can think about is vitamin D because that regulates calcium uptake from our food into the yeah, from the gut into the blood, but also regulates blood calcium concentration. And that includes not only taking up calcium from food, but it also takes minerals away from bone or puts it back into bone depending on how much calcium is available at the time. So having adequate vitamin D is also important. But probably the biggest one, and this really came out with Bobby's story, that can impact on our bone strength and bone density is energy availability. And that's because some of the hormones that are essentially turned down when we have low energy availability have other effects within the body beyond the primary functions which is usually it's the reproductive hormones but they have other effects in terms of you know how bone is turned over and so when we have low amounts of the reproductive ho- hormones so particularly estrogen in females and testosterone in males you do see a lowering of bone density and so that w- was really taken to the extreme in bobby's case where she ended up having a, a t-score for her bone density in the spine of minus 3.6 which is not only osteoporotic it's well beyond osteoporotic and it's not a surprise then that she had a whole series of bone fractures following that. Now obviously she was someone who had low energy availability for a few years there in her junior career. By the time she got to university she probably actually had improved her energy availability just hearing about the fact that the training load kind of lightened off a little bit she'd actually gained some weight and she was actually performing better because of that. And we've, we've spoken about that in previous episodes. But by that stage, it was too late in terms of her bone density. So even if her energy availability had improved substantially, her bone density was already so low that she then got all of those fractures that started to occur by the end of her first year of uni and then continued for a few years after that. But it's been great to hear that in the few years since then, with the pandemic and having a bit of time away from organized sport, she's been able to get back into a little bit of recreational running at least. And that part of her life isn't completely over in terms of the ability to run, as she said, now is more of an outlet in terms of um, you know mental health. Whereas previously in the, the cut and thrust of competitive sport, it was probably the opposite. It was a cause of stress. Now it's a a stress reliever. So uh, I think that's a really important message as well. Is, as Bobby said, you know, you're not your sport. You know, we have a life that's that's bigger than just our sport or our pursuits. It may not seem like that at times, but it's always important to keep in mind that if our sport is impacting negatively on our physical or mental health, then we need to have a good think about that.
1: Mm, yep. Yeah. And, um, and hopefully I think the medical awareness or the awareness of reds now uh, has improved Mm. so hopefully what happened in Bobby's situation where you know she went and actually did go and see the doctors to to see what was going on but then got told that she was actually really you know prime condition etc when actually there was a lot of stuff going on that hopefully won't happen now but it but it may and so I guess it's just a, a bit of a a a statement there to say, if you are still worried um, and if you're a parent and you are still worried about your child and you're not too sure on the advice that you were given, maybe it's worth getting a second opinion as well in that situation.
0: Particularly from like a sports physician who has experience in this area, because some GPs will be well and truly across this, but some GPs may not have any idea of it because it's not their main area of expertise.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah excellent so now we're our next episode out is a little bit perhaps sort of a c- continuation of, of this theme so it's episode 57a and what are we talking about there
0: yeah yeah so I think it, it's a really nice complement to these ones so the the question is how do I recover from red s or Reds so relative energy deficiency in sports so that's clearly the the state that Bobby was in although she probably didn't have the language for that at the time because that term had only just come into existence and you know that awareness you know, within the sporting community wasn't really there back in 2014, 15, 16. So we're going to speak to Roman Lundy, who is a dietitian that we both know very well, Steph, an Australian dietitian, and she actually works with Rowing Australia, So you might be wondering what's rowing Australia got to do with energy availability and endurance athletes, but rowers, if you're not familiar, do huge amounts of endurance training, uh, ironically for a very short event, but they also have issues with a lot of stress fractures, actually in the ribs of all places. So they get a lot of rib stress fractures in rowing. And so Bronwyn's just finished off her PhD looking at this issue of energy availability in rowers and has a lot of real world experience being a practitioner in that area for many years now in terms of helping people recover from a state of low energy availability. How do you do that? What's the, you know, the little nuances of, of how to achieve that? Is there some ways better than others to to do that as well? So if you're in a situation where you think you have low energy availability, you know, you might know that you already have low bone density, like in Bobby's case, or it might be for other reasons in terms of, you know, physical performance or um, fatigue, something like that, then, you know, this will be a a great answer to that question of, you know, what do I do now to actually get out of that hole? And there's a lot of really practical tips and, and information in this one.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so just, I guess, wrapping up a reminder that if you have a question you'd like answered on the podcast, you can contact us at The Long Munch on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And thank you to those people who have left ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We really appreciate it. We encourage more if you can take the time out. And remember also that there's now more than 55 previous questions that we've already answered, 56 now. So if you're new to the podcast, welcome. You might like to check out the back catalogue to see if there's something there that will be helpful to you. Most podcast apps only show you the last few episodes, but if you click back, you'll find the rest of them there going back to November 2020. If you want to be notified every time a new episode is available, you can hit subscribe on the podcast app you're listening to this on. And if your friends are asking about a particular nutrition issue for their training or racing and you've heard it on the podcast, you might like to let them know about us and yeah, if you can participate in the polls that we're going to have out soon, we would be most grateful. And it will only help you as well as us because we're just trying to, I guess, always improve the podcast and make sure we're answering questions that are relevant to you and putting out resources that are helpful and useful to you. Otherwise, we will, as always, our. Love and leave you, and we will see you again soon.
0: Wardo, See you then.